1: nation what's going on welcome to the Irish Breakdown podcast coming to you live on a Wednesday afternoon Ryan Roberts director of recruiting here at Irish Breakdown joined by my man Mr. Brian Driscoll the publisher here at irishbreakdown.com happy to bring you all some more spring practice content as we move closer and closer we are only a week away 7 days from Notre Dame opening up spring practice for the 2023 season so we're all jazzed up here obviously the uh Pot of gold offer extravaganzas Friday as well. So it is a busy week from a team perspective, from a recruiting perspective. Have a lot of content coming your way. So make sure to go to boards at irishbreakdown.com and check out the main site at irishbreakdown.com. For the show today, we have two segments that we're really looking forward to. One, we're going to talk about key position battles in the spring on the defensive side of the football. If you missed our show yesterday, we talked heavily about some of the improvements and some of the strengths that we know about the defense for Notre Dame football heading into the 2023 season. Well, to expand on that conversation, we're going to talk about some of the key position battles and, and players that we need to see emerge, battle it out. And then ultimately who gets starting spots, who has key roles as, as reserves, rotation players, all that stuff is going to be started to work out this spring and kind of lay that foundation heading into the summer heading into the fall so big time second segment of course we're going to hit a nice little mailbag here today so at any time in this podcast as we're talking through some of the key position battles throw some mailbag questions in the chat makes it a lot easier if you put that mb in front so that we all don't have to decipher too many things right we could kind of quickly w- work through some of those questions obviously in the second segment but Brian first segment i know we're pumped up to talk about because this is one of the more fun times of the year cuz i feel like most most fans are really optimistic about the 2023 season. They're should ex- be. They should be. Should be. Because there's a lot of talent that we discussed yesterday. There's questions to be answered, as there always is, every single offseason. Every team. Right. For every single team in college football. But regardless, we're going to get a lot of action here soon. I wish we had a little bit more availability to some of the practices. But regardless, it's exciting times for for Notre Dame football, man, and some key battles that are going to be raging on the defensive side of the football this year.
2: I mean, why would Notre Dame want to allow people to see their players perform and write stories about them and promote them and hype them up? I mean, it's not like there's like a name image likeness thing that might help buzz for the players coming out of the spring. But that's a different point. I'm excited about this football team. Because at the end of the day, the players are there to be successful. And this is, like you said, this is what I love about the spring is this part. Assuming that the coaches allow position battles to happen. Hopefully they will. Marcus Freeman has always said, I'm, a, I'm big on competition, competition, competition. Yep. Well, I think this spring is going to be a perfect time for him to show that that's actually true or not. You know, And it's on both sides of the ball, but especially on defense. Because on defense, with all due respect, there's a couple starters who should have to be part of position battles to spring. If if we're serious about competition and, and really building things around the town of the players, which is what we always hear out of Notre Dame and every team in the country is everybody says, Hey, best guy's going to play. And we're all about competition, best man, blah, 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 blah. Everybody yeah. says that, but not everybody carries that out. We're going to find out if Notre Dame does, because th- that means they're going to allow some position battles to rage. But it's all—it's fun to talk about and who's going to be in it. And see guys emerge and see who pushes and who f- who fades for when you know when the spotlight's on him. Who steps up when the spotlight's on him? And then how these battles are won. And so I say not just who wins them, but how is going to have a big role in what kind of team this is. So for example, it, we're you know we're going to talk about Viper in a second. If Jordan Patelho is just the default Viper and he just wins the job and it doesn't matter what he does, I'm not necessarily going to be fired up about Viper. But if Jordan Patello is the starting Viper this year because he played great in the spring and Josh Burnham played great and Junior Tillamaka played great and and Jordan held all those guys off as a starter, but they're all going to have a role. Then you start feeling great about it, right? Big end is another one we're going to talk about. Same kind of deal. We'll talk about the interior D line. We'll talk about linebacker safety. The point is, is if the winners of these battles are guys that went out and truly earned it, that's going to make the defense a lot better. And, yep. you know, you talked about how yesterday's show we talked about the things that are strengths or should be strengths. Well, to me, these position battles go a lot further towards towards the, the concerns and question marks that we discussed yesterday as well. And how are those answered? And and to me, it's like, OK, if Maris Luafau comes out this spring and plays has a great spring and he's disciplined and making, you know, making correct choices on the field and making plays and being responsible and being accountable as a football player, right? I'm not talking about him off the field. I'm talking about accountable, meaning, hey, I got B gap and I need to hit the B gap and I gotta, I've gotta, got contain and I've got to hit contain. I've got to hit my landmark here on my drop. That's what I mean by accountable. If he's doing that and executing with some consistency, then all of a sudden you're like, hey, we're going to be a lot better at will this year. Right. And, and if not, then it's like, well, I'm not really sure how the Bulls going to be this year. So that's what I love about the spring, Ryan. And, and that's what I, because it's, it's just, again, what is this 23 team going to look like? And these battles that are going to happen in the spring go a long way towards determining exactly what this football team's going to look like.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: And I love the nuance of the conversation, right? Because there's a lot of layers to it, depending on who wins, how they win, I think is a great note that you make. But also, Brian, I think that competition is so important and something that Coach Freeman has preached so much that regardless if it is a true competition where two guys are legitimately or three guys are legitimately up for a starting spot and how they attack this offseason is going to determine how things end, That's great, but also I want to see even the guys that we know are going to be the starters, like a Joe Walt, for instance, right? Like I want Joe Walt to get pushed. I want him to get pushed. Even if you know in the end it's not a true battle, I still want everybody to have to play up to their potential and feel like they're getting pushed from behind. Because in reality, Joe Walt knows he's going to play. He's going to start at left tackle, right? Blake Fisher knows he's going to play. Benjamin Morrison knows that he's going to play. But at the end of the day – I want some players to feel a little bit uncomfortable and feel tested because that's what brings out the best. We always hear the iron, sharpen iron conversation, right? Well, that really is where this comes down to, man. So, you know, these, these position battles that we're talking about today are more about trying to figure out hierarchy at certain spots and do all that great stuff. But ultimately, everyone needs to feel pushed in these types of situations. Well, and, and that's the thing, Ryan, is it's not always about a true
2: competition for their starting role. Right? Right. Like Blake Fisher is going to start a right tackle. Joe Walt's going to start at left tackle, but the battle can also be, man, there's going to be a great battle at left tackle this spring. Like, hold on a second, guys, Joe Walt's starting left. No, no, no. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about who's going to be that next guy in line. Who's right. going to be the heir apparent that, that, and then, and that's kind of where maybe you can challenge Joe Walt, where it's hard for me to convince a guy like Joe, Walt, like, Hey man, you better play well, or you're going to not going to start. Come on. He, he, he knows he's <laughs> going to start, but maybe the challenge for him is, Hey man, you're not going to be here that much longer. And you right. have a legacy to uphold. And there's, that's two parts. One part of that legacy is you got to go out and get better and do your job. The other part of that legacy is preparing the guy next to you. Because if you talk to young players that played under Quentin Nelson, they'll talk about how he impacted them and he held them to a standard and encouraged them and pushed them. And he had that role as, as a mentor to the younger players. Robert Hainsy was that way. Alex Bars is that way. Ilya Meichenberg was that way. Uh, Nick Martin, Zach Martin, you go through the years and, you know, Ronnie Stanley, the role, he, all those guys have a role in that. And, and so it can be, Hey, these guys are battling it out, right? You've been there, you know, be a mentor. And then that helps, you know, folk him, focus him up. So sometimes those battles. And like, when we talk about the interior D line, we all know who's going to start in the tier defensive line. Right. But that doesn't mean there's not going to be a fierce battle to say who's number three, who's number four, who's number five, who's number six and those are the things that are that are going to be fun right
1: or, or can someone cement the foundation where they might be able to challenge for an interior, for an interior spot down well, the road? if that happens
2: then you're going to be really excited like, Yes. and that's where you start getting fun like hey look uh, you know i know that that cam hart's going to start at boundary cor- or field corner this year but man when he was out during the spring boy did you see how jaden Mickey played or or how you know ryan barnes or christian gray whoever played like you know cam's the starter he's the dude but man if he goes down or when he when his time is over or you don't have to play him 75 snaps every game now because yeah. this kid said but hey look we all know benjamin morrison's going to be and because like we're not going to talk about corner today it's not on our conversation list but like sure chance tucker's not fighting for a starting job but he's fighting for that number two job behind benjamin morrison and so one of two things could happen one is you're the backup if benjamin gets hurt you go in or two is man chance played so well. That we now feel confident saying, hey, in a lot of these games, we're gonna work chance in every fifth or sixth series, fourth or fifth series, give him a series so we can maybe take some of the the snaps burden off of Benjamin. And that way he's fresher November and going into the postseason. Now sure. you don't do that against Ohio State and Clemson, but you can do that against Tennessee State. You can do that against Central Michigan, against you know, n- n- you know, some other teams. But he earned that right. And those are the things also that you want to see is what did those guys do this spring to not only maybe, you know, challenge for a starting job, but challenge to a a place where like, Hey, Benjamin's a dude. He's an all American, but man, chance did great. So we can find ways to use, utilize him that then helps Benjamin because then we don't have to play him every single snap of every single game. and And now you're better, you're better now. And so those are all the different things you look at. And then if something happens to a player, a starter, you've got these younger guys that are ready or these other guys that are ready to step up and play. right? And that's well, what makes the spring a lot of fun.
1: And I think that there's a cliche that, you know, competition breeds greatness, but I really believe that, man. I do. And I even think, like, we talked about Joe Walt a little bit, Brian. If I'm Coach Rudolph this offseason too, I want Blake Fisher pushing him and being like, hey, Joe, you might have been All-American last year, brother, but I'm going to be the best offensive tackle on the team this year, right? Like, you want that to happen because then Joe Walt needs to step up his game. And it's not as competition is like, I hate that guy. I don't like that guy. It's competition Is in let's push ourselves to be the absolute right. best that we possibly can be. You need that on a good football team. The best football teams, they have that, right? The Georgias. We can always go back to Georgia. You know there's a battle on that interior defensive line to see who's the next guy in after Jalen Carter this year yeah. and who's going to take over that mantle this year? That happens on a day-to-day basis. It's like Cam and, Cam and Benjamin. I want to see that.
2: I want to see who, who, who had the most picks today. You know, it's kind of, you know what it reminds me of. It's uh you ever watch Lord of the Rings? Do you remember in the last one, Return of the King, when uh I forget the uh, is it Gemli, right? The dwarf. I think so. Uh, I didn't see And movie. then uh, Legolas are, are getting yeah. off the boat and they're like counting the number of like bad guys they kill. It's like that still only counts as one, you know, because he kills that <laughs> pill elephant thing. Like right? that's what you want to see, like, you know, hey, I only gave up two completions. Like, oh, you know, I only gave up three. And have that friendly battle of who who that's what good teams do. Yep. And that's what you want to see. But back to the original point, Ryan, there are definitely some specific battles that are going to rage this spring. Yep. And when we look at, at, at it, we're going to kind of go front to back. So these aren't necessarily in position of most important the least important, but we're going to go front to back. Uh, and just so you know, Archer Ryan said he has seen Lord of the Rings. You did say you have seen Lord of the Rings. I have correct? seen
1: Lord of the Rings, okay. yes. Yes, okay. yeah, it's, it's been a little while, but I've seen the yeah. whole trilogy. I have, yes. yes,
2: yes. So, um, when you look at it, Ryan, I, I think the position where there's the, the most legitimate battle for a starting job is at Big End, and we're going to start there because you obviously. You 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 lose your starting you kind of you lose your starting big end from last year, Riley Mills, who's now we anticipate is going to move inside, play more of a three technique role. He was the starter big end last year. You've got Nana Osafa Mensa coming back. He would pr- kind of be the heir apparent of the returners. There's Alexander Ahrensberger in that conversation, I believe. Perhaps Tyson Ford could be in that as well, but he could also be inside. We'll find that out here in the spring. And then, of course, you've got the new guy, Javante John Baptiste, from transfer from Ohio State, who's who's been a very, very productive player. To you know, his last couple of years, at Ohio State, and was number three on the team in sacks last year, but it was only one sack behind the team leader and a half sack behind number two, despite playing significantly fewer snaps than those guys. So you've got a quality three man group, Ryan. And so I think the battle here at big end, to me, is twofold. Number one is who's the starter. Actually, threefold, really. Number one is who's the starter? How deep does the rotation go? And what niches do different guys have? And I think that's that to me is where it ends or where it begins and ends is right there. And and for me, the thing that I'm curious about is we'll start with the returners. Nana was a really good niche player last year, really good run defender. Yeah. Uh, could come in and 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 set the edge effectively. At times got a little bit overwhelmed. Uh, at times, but overall, it was a pretty solid edge setter. Doesn't didn't bring a lot last year from a you know a production standpoint, a, an impact production standpoint. You know, just kind of went in there and did his job, played hard, uh, played physical. What we're seeing from him this offseason season is we're seeing Nana do a lot from a leadership standpoint. You know, you're seeing him be leader at workouts, going over to Ireland, you know, for the the stuff they're doing over there. You know, but he had fourteen tackles for or fourteen tackles, one tackles for tackle for loss and and no sacks last year. He had you know two sacks the year before, not a guy that's really had a ton of production uh, in his career so far. Can he become more of a more than just a do your job guy? Can he start to become a playmaker? And I think for Nana, that's going to go a long way towards determining whether he's going to stay in the role he was in last year, which is a very important role player, backup player, or can he challenge for a starting job? The, that to me is is going to be the key of whether or not Nana stays in that role or becomes starter. He's got to be a more productive player on the ball. Tackles for loss, pressures, Impact. batted balls, sacks, yeah. all that stuff. We need to see a lot more of that from Nana this spring.
1: Yeah, and, and he, I mean – Because he gives you a nice baseline, right? I mean, because at worst, he fits that niche where it's just like, okay, when he comes in, he's going to still be a solid piece to a big end room, right? Like you can depend on him. He's got that veteran side. He's got kind of that background. He's got the leadership aspects that he's adding even more this offseason. He's dependable, right? Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, to assume a starting role, in theory – You want a guy that's going to be a much more impactful football player, right? And because we talked about the Riley Mills impact last year at Big end, right, Brian? It's like, yeah, he had some nice moments, but you still need more production from an impact perspective. You still need more sacks. You need more tackles for loss. You need more penetration. You still need those types of things. On top of doing the dirty work, you know, right. taking on and, and down blocks, he had six and tackles
2: for loss and three and a half sacks. I mean, and so, yeah. the, so it wasn't enough production. But you compare that to one tackle for loss and yes. zero sacks, and it's a, it's a big difference. And, and yeah. it's, it was two years in a row that we just haven't seen a lot of production from that position, right? And that's a bit of an issue for me. We had the same thing in 2021, where the only time we really saw any production, like impact production from that position, was when Riley Mills played it against Virginia. Yeah. You know, Myron Tungvalo, the year before, is the starting big end, only had five tackles for loss and two sacks and, and and had 25 tackles. So we actually saw more production last year from Riley Mills at that position than we saw the year before. But to your point, it's not like it was in 2007 20 when the starting big end, Adi Tagumba Ogandiji, had seven tackles for loss and seven sacks. And, and obviously when Khalid Kareem had that job in 2019, he was a, he, actually two years in a row, Khalid Kareem as the big end was a double digit tackle for lost guy two years in a row. And honestly, that's what I care more about as a big end than I do sacks. Sacks are nice. If you can give me three or four sacks as a starting big end, I'm I'm good. If your big end as a depth chart can give you seven, eight sacks, I'm good. It doesn't need to be a 15 sack Position like the viper was last year. Give me five to eight sacks from that position as a whole. I'm good. Anything beyond seven or eight is is money to me. The way that Notre Dame uses the big end again, it by, d- by. Yeah, it's very yeah, because it's they- not used that way.
1: Well, they okay. do a lot. They do a lot of the dirty work, you know. You're playing right. against tight ends. You're working against right. down blocks. You're and they're working against down on blockers. third down a
2: lot of times, or they're moved inside. So, exactly. but it's it's the tackles for loss that have to take a jump. It's the run game production, and then the pass game production. I want to see from that group is is hurries, batted balls, things like that. Is good to see, but it's really the run game production more than anything has to take a big big jump. And that's where you know if Nana's going to make a splash this spring it's going to be there. And here's the thing I like about this position battle overall, Ryan. And again, we're going to start with the two returners first, and then we'll get to Javante Jean-Baptiste last. They're going to be going to get some dudes all spring. Yes. And so they're going to get tested. So you feel like if they're making plays this spring against the first team, you feel like it's a little bit more impressive because of who they're going against. And that's going to be a big thing is they're going to get some long, talented dudes in Blake Fisher and Joe Walt. But they're going to have to step up. That's going to be a big key, and you know we talk about Nana, a guy that I really want to see. Nana's got the tools to be a really good run defender. I think his block destruction is solid for a guy. His you know guy like him, it can get a little bit better. Last year was his first year where he really played like a ton of snaps throughout the season. His his snaps in twenty twenty one, you know, in, increased throughout the year, but in twenty twenty two, he was a key rotation guy from from game one to game two, you know, for or game thirteen, I should say. And so those are things that you want to see is you want to see his production go up in the run game. That's a big, big key for me, Ryan, for him this year.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, at worst, again, he's going to fill a niche, but I mean, even that niche, you just want it to be a little bit more impactful, right? Like you need that. And I mean, honestly, Brian, it's not a fault of the big end position in general, but they do a lot of the dirty work, and I feel like we'd be having a different conversation about those guys from an impact perspective if the linebackers had been more impactful last year, right, because you could be like, you know, at least they're taking up multiple blockers, at least they're freeing right. up, and then the linebackers are able to flow and then make a lot more impactful plays, but the linebackers weren't aren't as impactful as you want last year either, so you need to kind of look at both those positions and be like, you need to find some more impacts, whether it is, you know, from a rotational piece, whether it's a guy stepping up and being the assumed starter, whether it's a three-man, two-man, it doesn't matter. But at the end of the day, Nana's going to get a chance to make a bigger impact in this spring and this offseason. And we have questions you know, as far as what the overall impact could be. We know the baseline, but is there a ceiling that Nana has tapped into? That's the biggest question mark right now.
2: Yeah. Next guy on the list is Ale- Alexander Ehrensberger. And this is yeah. a guy that really intrigues me. I have no idea why he didn't play more last year. Don't believe he was injured. I mean, we, we, we've we – I honestly couldn't tell you what the problem was. I may, Maybe they were trying to redshirt him. I really don't know. Uh, he was listed as only playing three games on defense last year. I'm actually looking at his special teams chart now. He played several games on special teams. So he did not catch a redshirt last year. I don't have a clue. Ryan, I actually thought he was decent in in 2021 in his limited snaps. He played almost 100 snaps that year. Uh, thought he did some really nice things. He had a really he had a huge pressure against Cincinnati that resulted in Desmond Ritter tucking the ball and then eventually getting sacked by Isaiah Foskey. And then Notre Dame recovers that fumble, picks it up, and that's what helped Notre Dame get back in that game. So I I don't quite get why his snaps dropped. I, I really don't. But he's tall, he's long, he's pretty athletic for his size, Ryan. Yeah. And he presents some, some opportunities. And, and I don't know if this current staff, if Al Golden and Al Washington just don't think very highly of him. I don't know if he struggled. I don't know what the reason is. But he's a guy that I hope we see more of this spring, to be honest with you. Because if you talk about a guy that has the total package for that position, size, length, strength, athletic tools – He's got it all. He just, yeah. for whatever reason, hasn't either been hasn't been able to put it together, or hasn't had a chance, hasn't been given the opportunity to put it all together, or maybe a combination of both. I hope that we. I hope that he makes his presence felt this spring because if he does, he could either a take charge of this position, or at the very least give them a really interesting rotation piece that can be disruptive. Because I think he has the most disruptive ability of the returning big
1: ends, in my yeah. opinion just has to put it all together. You know, I was a fan. I was a fan of him last off season. I really wanted to see him take a step forward because like you said, you have seen flashes in the past and obviously it was very small increments of opportunities, but he's still, you know, productive in the opportunities he's had in the past. You notice so, him when yes. he's on the
2: field. That's the thing. Because the thing I you look for,
1: yeah, because I, I, I mean, you hit on it a little bit already, but now with Riley Mills moving inside on a more, you know, exclusive basis, you could argue you know I mean Tyson Ford I guess would figure into this conversation but Alexander Riversberger might be the most talented kid in that in that uh, big end room right now. He might be when you take every tune into account the size, the length, the athleticism, the inside outside versatility too because man that length could be a real trouble opportunity against some guards inside especially. Right? It's like a sub package dude. And I really thought that he was going to take a step forward in 2021 or sorry in 2022 and you know really kind of get a little bit of a role, at least a substantial role as, as kind of a backup piece. But for whatever reason, it didn't happen. I hope it didn't happen because Al Washington was making him his, you know, his project that season, mm-hmm. right? Like, let's get him ready. You know, we, we, you know, maybe there's guys that are better right now, but long-term, if I give them a little more attention and practice on a day-to-day perspective, we can really get a lot out of him in 2023. I have no idea if that was the strategy. That's just my, you know, hope I guess is because, mm-hmm. Ewersburg is impressive, man. I mean, you saw when I saw him last offseason, both in spring practice and in one of the availability we had for a practice in the fall. He pops off, man. He's one of those first men off the bus, Brian. I mean, he's six foot seven, right around two hundred fifty five plus pounds. He's an impressive looking athlete. Can he be that guy? I have no idea. But if you're able to get the most out of him, that gives you some insane alignment potential because like on third downs, if he's playing good ball, maybe move him into three tech, you put Riley in it nose, and then you have one of your big ends rushing from the outside. And that gives you a lot more alignment versatility. So I would love for him to have an impact. I just don't know if there is a high opinion from the staff. Like that's something to, to be determined at this point.
2: Right and and look every coach does that every coach has guys they like don't like favor don't favor it's just a part of it you just hope that you can see past it enough to allow someone to kind of step in and still play a key role those are the two returners i mean i i don't we, we won't talk about any of the incoming freshmen because they're not here this is more of a spring conversation and and the one guy that i'm 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 there's the two current rising sophomores i'm curious if they factor in here at all yeah aidan gobyra to me is is more of a big end to me, and, and we've talked about him at Viper because that's basically what he what he was listed as last year. But when he got in the game against Boston College, he played big end. That's where he was. They had Viper. At, uh, they had uh, Josh Burnham at Viper. And if you watch the couple snaps that Aiden Go was on the field last year, he's twitchy. Yeah, he can get off the line. Now I don't know where his body is now, or where he's building it up, but he is a guy that to me should be moving to big end because he he brings impact potential now he's not there yet I'm not saying that but he brings that potential and with a good offseason could be a guy that maybe becomes a rotation guy because he he brings the most potential as a pass rusher of the returners really explosive first step I mean going back to high school watching him last year there was one snap late in the game where it was him at big end Josh Burnham at Viper and Jalen Sneed was playing I think rover this against Boston College right? yeah and you, you come off the line and Aiden just poof and burn them, and, J- and you're like, dude, this is a different speed. Yeah. A completely different speed of athlete than we've seen from what's been playing these positions all year. And that includes Viper. I mean, Isaiah is a heck of a player, but like just the burst off the edge was like, wow, like, okay, these guys can move. And that's why we talked about yesterday is like, look, they've got to get these guys on the field. They've yes. got to figure out a way to get these guys in the field. And for me, Aiden Gobira to me, is a guy that I would like to see this spring playing big end. And Tyson Ford moving inside the three technique and let him grow into a really disruptive three technique would be my ideal scenario. I don't know if Notre Dame sees it that way, but he's a guy that I could say keep an eye on him if he's able to kind of have a really big spring because he has got a lot of potential and he's got four years of eligibility left. So I want to see what they can do with Aiden Gobira this spring for sure. Here's my concern, Ryan. Yeah, I hope I don't know. I don't know that this is true. This is a general concern. This is not specific to Al Washington. So people hear me. This isn't a specific criticism about Washington. This is something that happens a lot with new coaches in general. They don't give the guys they didn't recruit that are young as much of a look. They'll play the veterans that are already there, right? Because they got to play somebody. But the younger guys, they may not give as much of a push because They recruited their guys. I'm not saying Al Washington is this way. This is always a concern I have when you bring in a new position coach. This was, this is always that concern in this instance. However, I hope that that's not true because if Al Washington is willing to take all these young kids and actually coach them up and realize that your job is to develop young players, it's not their own job. It's not up to Aiden, go Byron Tyson Ford by themselves to develop themselves. Otherwise, the coaches shouldn't get paid as much as they do. They're overpaid if that's the job, if the, if their job is not to do that. Yeah. Your job is to develop and coach these kids. And if a kid it needs more work, then you spend more time with them because there's too much talent with that duo, with Aiden Gobyer and Tyson Ford, not to have them pushing. And if they're not ready on day one of spring, then, dude, the, if I'm Marcus Freeman, I'm sitting out Al. See that kid number right there, number 90, Aiden Go Byer or no, we'll see, 92, 91. If you don't get him ready to play, we're going to have a very long conversation this offseason. That's what a head coach is supposed to do. I mean, I've I've heard stories from from people I know at Ohio State where they said Urban Meyer would would do that with his coaches. You see this big time recruit we just got. If you can't get that guy coached up and ready to play, then I'm going to find someone who will. I, I mean, that should be your job, should right? Be. And I hope, I hope that's the conversation that Marcus Freeman is having with Al Washington. And we're talking about him for now because. We're talking about the D line is if you can't get Aiden and ready to play, if you can't get Alexander Alexander Aronsberg ready to play, then I need to rethink if I got the right guy for this job. Sure. That's simple as that. And if he can, not and if, but here's the flip side, because this is a hypothetical conversation. We're not saying Al hasn't done this. We're just saying in theory it, on the flip side. If coach Washington does sort of take them on as his pet projects and does develop them and push them and get them ready to go, all of a sudden we're having a much different conversation about the big end position. So again, there's the two sides of what it could be. We're not saying which one it is. We don't know. Right. You know? So, so to me, if he's able to do that and get to me Gobira and Aaron's ready to go, that makes the whole room better because then you can keep Nana in his niche and just help him get better at that. And, and now all of a sudden you've got a really deep long group of big ends that, you all of a sudden it, it could become a strength of your of your of your defense, and,
1: and if you also have that moment where Al Washington's able to get Aaron'sberger and you know if he's able to get a guy like an Aaron'sberger ready to go and to be a substantial playmaker this year, and then maybe an Aiden Go is in that conversation as well. It also strengthens a couple different spots too, Brian, because we talked about Tyson Ford. We literally talked about him on the phone earlier. Like, how great would it be if that move is able to put a Tyson Ford inside, maybe exclusively if he's able to hold weight, and then that starts strengthening the interior defensive line as well? So that has a ripple effects on this roster potentially, right? Because it's like if Aiden Gobira can hold weight and you're able to really develop him properly, then, hey, Tyson Ford is freed up to maybe be more of an impact penetration style player Inside in in his niche as well, like if he's able to develop as well. So I think that that's really what you want to see. And I mean, I think we've it's, it's like the Javante Jean Baptiste conversation we had when he first came. It's like you strengthen two positions because now you can move Riley Mills inside on a more exclusive role there. And now you just made your big end position more productive, potentially. You made your interior defensive line more productive, potentially. I think that that's a big thing for Al Washington is if he's able to get the most out of some of these toolsy kids, you're strengthening not only the depth of that position, but maybe another one as well. Yeah, Yeah, so.
2: Right, because I don't know if Aiden is going to, in year two, going to be physically ready to beat the guy. Right. Because I don't think he was physically ready to play last year. Like my comment about the BC game was not like, man, this guy should have been playing all year. I don't think he was physically ready to play last year. I have no complaints with that. I'm simply saying now you're going into year two. The tools are there. Get this kid ready to play. If it's 15 snaps a game, if it's 40 snaps a game now in year two, these kids should be part of this mix some way, somehow. And then, you know, let's say he gets 10, 15 snaps a game this year. And then next year he's going into a situation where now he's ready to take the job over. Those those are the things that I want to see, Ryan, from that group. So and and then finally, Javante Jean-Baptiste is a very interesting player because he's not your typical big end. No. You know, he's going to be around 250, 255 by the time the season starts. Similar in size, similar in body type to Adi Ogandiji, Adi Takumba Ogandiji. And and so to me. I'm curious to kind of see what he's going to be able to do. Ohio state didn't really necessarily play big end f- the same way that Notre Dame did They're Both of their ends kind of had to do s- similar things. They were, it was much more of a traditional four down front. Would you agree with yeah.
1: that? Yeah. They, or they, they, tr- they try to recruit the defensive end position pretty similarly. Like all their guys are as outside of maybe Zach Harrison. Like they're all kind of was, similar yeah, size. Right. Players, he's just you know? freaky.
2: Right. Yeah. But so, so uh, uh I think he can handle the job. I think he can he can play the run. I think he's a, a solid run setter, uh, edge setter, I should say. He's got to get better at that, and and I think that you know going into year six, he's gonna he's gonna be excited. You know, excuse me, not excited, but you know, a little he's gonna benefit from the the strength conditioning program a little bit. Just continue to add on to it. He's experienced, is what I was gonna say. Not excited. So I think he'll be able to, to handle the position. It's just about, okay, is he a guy – is he a 40-snap guy or has he got to be part of a, a pretty evenly split three-man unit? Is he going to be the starter? Is he going to be the number two? I think that's what we're going to see. But here's the one thing that he brings to the table that none of the other ends on the roster have, and that is a proven pass rusher. Yeah. Yeah. Now his sack numbers are not going to knock your socks off, right? You're not going to look at a guy that had 75 sacks in his career. You know, I'm, I'm being obviously hyperbolic, <laughs> but when you look at his snaps on a, his production as a sack guy on a per snap basis, he put up good numbers, right? Yeah, you know he he was uh, he was uh, this past year he had I think four sacks. I think is what I saw from the Ohio State uh, Ohio State numbers. I think uh, let me let me pull this up real quick. I think he had four sacks this year. You know, but he was a guy that you look at and say he was a key rotation player for the last three years, really, for Ohio State. You know, played a good number of snaps as the number two, and a guy that on a per snap basis had very good numbers if if you break it down. So
1: his win rate was really good, if I remember correctly, this past year. It
2: was. It was. And so. I'm actually gonna pull that up real real quick Ryan while we're talking about it. It but, was
1: it was like 19% or something like that, right? Like it was yeah, pretty it was, high. It,
2: I don't know if it was this year or last year. I'm 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 looking that up right now. Uh I because I know one of the last two years he had a he had a really really successful he had a, he was very successful in that regard. And and so um you know he's he's got the ability to do it. He's done it. I mean he's proven that he can get after the quarterback in, in limited opportunities. Uh, throughout his career. And so he's the one guy that has shown that ability in college. And I think that's something that should benefit him, in my opinion.
1: And uh, because I I feel like he's going to be playing with a lot of fire this offseason as well, Brian, because what's the reason that Javante Jean-Baptiste is here? He's already been a key uh, key producer in a rotational role at Ohio State. And For five years, right? Like, he's been there for five years. The last couple, he's been a a key player at the defensive end position in a rotational role. Why is he coming to Notre Dame? Because he wants to be the guy,
2: right? And he's not going to be that. The guys they have starting at defensive end are just better than he
3: is. I mean, Exactly.
1: Like, JT, Jack Sawyer, like, that's their guys at Ohio State. And for very good reason. Very talented football players, obviously. Javante made this move to Notre Dame because he could have went to the NFL and he could have chased those dreams this offseason. He came back because he wants to be the guy. And I have to think that everything he does this offseason is going to be to attack that goal. Let's get there. Let's have eight sacks as a senior at Notre Dame in your sixth year and then go to the NFL. That's what I envision is going to be his fire this offseason. So he's going to be pushing everyone around him, right? Like Alexander Ahrensberger, Nana Safa Mensah, and whoever else keys into this position role, they're going to have to live up to, I think, that, that – that fire that he's playing with because as long as he comes to work every day, he's going to have a good opportunity to maybe be the guy, but mm-hmm. that type of fire and that type of urgency to have, because it's his final year, man, this is his last shot. He can't come back for a seventh, you know, like this mm-hmm. is, this is it right now. And if he has that fire in his belly to try to get that accomplished, that makes everybody else better too. Cause now guys mm-hmm. are chasing him and saying like, I know you've been here for five years in college, man. I know this is your sixth year. But I want this role too. Like I, I, I'm sorry if you get kind of get phased out or you get relegated to a rotational role. But like we have to step up to our game every single day. So I'm excited about Javante because he brings proven production in snap snap basis. He brings leadership. He brings experience. That's all great things. And I also think that he has the potential to really push that room and demand the best out of the guys around him that are competing with him.
2: Yep. So there's guys there, Ryan. I mean, that's this is the key. There are guys in the room for this to be a solid position. What we don't know, if it's good enough to be beyond a solid group. That's the question. And for that to happen, I think there's three things that need to happen for me. Javante Jean-Baptiste needs to be able to take his pass rushing production over limited snaps and be able to project that over an an extra hundred some snaps. So last year at Ohio State, for example, when when you look at what he did last year for the Buckeyes, he had, uh, I'm pulling it up here real quick. He had 132 pass rushes, and he had 14 pressures in those 132 pass rushes. Four sacks, three hits on the quarterback. That's a, it's pretty, that's pretty good numbers on that, on that type of number, on that type of percentage. Uh, his win rate last year, I don't think that's, that's total. I don't think that's actually correct. But uh, they had him at 26. I don't think that's actually correct. Uh, I think that's a different number that I'm looking at. But uh, let me let me just see here real quick. PRP, okay. Uh, his uh, so this would be what it is. Zach uh, Ryan, it was his fourteen point three was his PRP, yeah. which is um at Ohio, which is more close to what the actual win rate is, right? It's sacks, hits, and uh, hurries relative to how many times they rush the passer. Yep. He led Ohio State last year with fourteen point three. The year before, in two thousand and twenty one, I believe is when he was when he was uh, higher than that, and he was at. I uh, can't find it here. But anyway, the point is, he had a pretty good success rate. 14.3 is very close to what Notre Dame was last year with Isaiah Foskey, just yeah. for context' sake. So he was at 14.3. And if you go to Notre Dame uh, last season and you look at Isaiah Foskey, uh, Isaiah Foskey was at 14.0. Wow. Now, here's the interesting thing. Uh, the guys, that if you look at Ohio State and and Notre Dame combined – uh, number one guy of someone who played more had more than fifty pass rushes was
1: Jordan Petaho, who was at twenty five. It's insane, man. Yeah. We now, talked about this yesterday, but that yeah. is just an, for people that don't understand well, pass rush run rate. Like anything over like eighteen is great. Right. Like really, really. I think good Will pace. Anderson was like
2: nineteen yes. the year he had like a, a great year, uh, and then Allen's Alexander Aaronsberger in limited snaps was at twenty five as well, but he only had six pass rushes. Yeah. Number three was Javante Jean-Baptiste. Number four was Isaiah Foskey. Number five was Zach Harrison. Number six was JT Tuomo Lau- Lu- Luau. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Uh, number seven was Tyler Friday. Number eight was Justin Ademiola. Number nine was Jack Sawyer. And number 10 was Riley Mills. So you're talking about Notre Dame is going to have, if you look at last year's defensive end pass rush success rate from between Ohio State and Notre Dame, the three highest ranked guys are all back and playing for Notre Dame this year. Yeah. Now Alexander. Now that's a that's a an asterisk because Alexander Ersberger's <laughs> rate came on six snaps, right? Yeah. But the top two guys that had at least fifty pass rushes are two guys that we expect to be the the starting potentially the starting ends at big end and Viper for Notre Dame this year. That's part of where my excitement about because what was one of the concerns we had yesterday, Ryan, is where's the pass rush going to come from? Well, if, if Javante Jean-Baptiste can can force his way into the starting role, because he's going to have to beat out Nana and Alexander Ernsberg and those guys. I mean, it's not going to be handed to him. Trust me, it's not going to be handed to him. Yep. If he wins the starting job, you start to say, like, hey, in your base defense, you have a much better shot at generating a pass rush this year out of your base defense than you did last year because Batelho potentially could bring a similar effectiveness to Foskey as a pass rusher, but yep. you're going to get a big jump. And even if it's not as good, it's you – know, a little less, but you have a chance to be significantly better rate at the other position when you you look at where Notre Dame was last year. Because Notre Dame's two guys last year, Nana was at a 2.9% rate. And then uh, Nana last year had two total pressures on, uh, in in this thing, two total pressures on 156 pass rushes. Javante Jean-Baptiste had 10 on 132 pass rushes. So, and this is on true pass sets, right? So that's a really good rate, really good rate. Uh, you know, like I said, he had 10 on 132 pass rushes. Isaiah Foskey had 21 on 311. So again, you look at it and you say, hey, this is a, this is a pretty good, this is a pretty good opportunity here for two guys to, to be really productive and have some success. And so that's where you say, why did they recruit that kid? That right there, that's why. Yep. That's why they recruited Javante Jean-Baptiste, because he can get after the quarterback. And Notre Dame needs to find ways to get after the quarterback with their front more consistently than they did last year. The overall sack numbers ended up being good. But as you and I both know, they got some sacks and spurts. They got some sacks in some late-game situations where the other team was down. Cal, they got some big sacks late against Cal. Got yeah. some sacks against UNLV. And they got some late-game sacks that sort of padded the stats where you weren't getting enough consistent pressure early in games. Yep. And you couldn't get it in the big games. You couldn't bring down J.J. or CJ Stroud. You couldn't bring down Caleb. You got pressure on him, but you couldn't bring him down. Let him get outside contain. You know, This year, if you say, hey, if you really want to be an elite defense, you need a defensive line that can create pressure. And if you can't get any hardly any production from the big end, because the only even competent big pr- pass rusher from the big end position last year was Riley Mills. Yeah. Now, we've seen Nana flash it in practice we didn't get a chance to see him do it in games. So I'm curious to see if he can do it, you know, take it to another level in games. But the reality is John Baptiste gives you a guy that has a proven track record, limited, but still a proven track record as a pass rusher from the, from a position that'll be very similar to what he's asked to do at Notre Dame. And so if he, if he wins that job, you're going to feel pretty good that at least the pass rush is going to be better this year. There's no doubt about that.
1: Which matters because you talked about the key games last year. Of, I mean, you saw some great quarterbacks last year, obviously. You saw C.J. Stroud, who's going to be a top five pick in the 2023 NFL Draft. You saw Caleb Williams, who is by far the favorite to be the first pick in the 2024 NFL Draft. You saw Drake May. You know one thing that all those quarterbacks have in common, though, Brian? They're not very effective when they're on their back, right? When they're getting hits, when they're getting constantly pressured. Like, yes, Caleb Williams is going to make some magic happen at times working against pressure, but ever, I've never seen a quarterback that is better when harassed versus when they're from a clean pocket. I've never seen a quarterback that excels more in, in adverse situations. So in that regard, Notre Dame's going to see some more talented quarterbacks in 2023 to get more impact. And again, it doesn't always have to just be sack numbers. It's pressures. It's quarterback hits. Harassing quarterbacks is a big deal. And they need to find more production on a consistency basis from that big end position. And the great thing about Javante John Baptiste, though, is even if he doesn't end up being the guy at big end, gives you a great baseline. You know that he's been productive as a part time player. You know, he gives that to you, which is awesome. And if somebody beats him out, then you feel like, okay, they're going to be really good. You you made
2: a comment. I want to make sure that you said that they're going to face better quarterbacks this year than they did last year.
1: No, I said they faced great quarterbacks last year, and they're going to face more good quarterbacks okay, this yes. year. No, okay. Okay. Not I was curious <laughs> about that because I was no. like, uh, "No,
2: I will." I will say this: I don't think there's a trio like the group they faced last year—CJ no. Shroud, Drake May, and and Caleb Williams. But I will say this: top to bottom, there's more, even more good quarterbacks on the schedule this year. You still have Caleb Williams, whoever whoever they play this year, whoever starts at Ohio State this year. Like, and, and again, I, I know Notre Dame fans don't think this, and. The, I don't even know if Ohio State fans think this, but I'm just telling you: track record shows that under since Ryan Day's been there, it hasn't mattered who's under center. The guy's going to put up numbers. Yes, and and Kyle McCord was a guy that I liked a ton coming out of high school. I didn't like Devin Smith as much, but I or Devin Brown as much, but I do like Kyle McCord quite a bit. But you look at it, you're going to face you're going you're still going to face Caleb Williams. You're still going to face whoever Ohio State has. Clemson's going to be upgraded at quarterback this year with Kate Klubnick, yep. in my opinion. Uh, Riley Leonard's on the schedule this year. Yes, uh, Brennan Armstrong's on the schedule this year. Uh, you're going to face uh, Jack Plummer again, but he's going to be in a much better situation this year than he was with Cal last year.
1: Now he's at Louisville with yep. uh, under
2: Jeff Brom.
1: And he, he made faced... some plays against Notre Dame early in the game last year. He, like, they let yeah.
2: him run around. Here's yeah. the crazy thing. They will have faced Jack Plummer now three years in a row.
1: Three different schools. Three
2: different teams. <laughs> That's wild. I'm wild. serious. He started against them for Purdue again in 2021. He started for him against Cal last year, and he start, he's starting for Louis, he'll he for probably be the starter at Louisville this year. So that's just an absolutely wild step. Transfer,
1: no, transfer portal era, man. Right, what are you going to do? Right. Yeah. They're going to
2: face Phil Dracovic at Pitt, and uh, I'm not sure who the quarterback's going to be at Stanford and Wake Forest this year. But there, there's a deep stable of quarterbacks they're going to face this year. Yeah. And, and there's a few guys on that list, Ryan. They're not easy to sack. Right. I'm, I don't think Brendan Armstrong's super easy to sack. He's not as hard as some of the others. Uh, you can bet that the Ohio State guy, if, Kyle McC- if, if it's Devin Brown, I think he'll be easier to sack. Kyle McCord won't be easy to sack. He's a big kid and a good athlete. He won't be easy to sack. Riley Leonard's not easy to sack, in my opinion, especially going into year two. Uh, Notre Dame, Jack Plummer should be easy to sack, but he wasn't for Notre Dame last year for whatever reason. <laughs> he's a
1: decent athlete, man. Yeah. He's a big guy. Yeah. He's got some of that. Uh, yeah.
2: Caleb yeah. Williams won't be easy to sack. Say whatever you want about Phil Dracovic. He's not easy to sack nah. if the line's competent, right? If Notre, 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 Notre Dame can...
1: fans have seen that, that he's right. not easy to sack. <laughs>
2: right. Now, when four guys hit him at once, it's a little easier to bring him down. And then Cade yes. Klubnik won't be easy to sack in, in year two. So the D line's going to have a much tougher task week to week than it did last year where really you know you look at last year's schedule ryan and you had the three dudes at the top right and yeah jaron hall but there's also a lot of uh, you know henry Columbia is not a very good quarterback uh, even though notre dame made him look like one Uno v didn't have a very good quarterback syracuse didn't have a very good quarterback dj Ui angela is not a good quarterback navy didn't have a good quarterback emin moorhead was is a young kid that was overwhelmed in that game he was overwhelmed in that game and then the other quarterback they had on the schedule last year was a good player was was um the kid from Stanford, right? Uh Tanner McKee. McKee. Yeah. So you're you you did not have the depth that you're gonna face this year, in my opinion. And and so it's not the trio of CJ Williams and Drake May, but it's really good. And it's yep. hard guys to sack. So this position is gonna have to be good. The other D line position, and we spent <laughs> way too we spent way too much time on big end. Kind of partly for a reason, because that to me is the one where there's the biggest question mark. Yeah. Who's going to start? Viper, Ryan, uh, to me, when I when I look at the Viper position, it's not so much about a battle for the starting role. I think barring him lo- missing time or just taking a big step back, we know who the starting Viper is going to be. It's going to be Jordan Patelho. Here's the question at Viper, Ryan, is – Who else plays at Viper and how much? Right. And that's going to be the question. So you've got Jordan Patel. He's going to play. How much? We'll see. But after that, you've got two guys to me that I'm very curious to see how much they can force their way onto the field. And that's Junior Alamaca and Josh Burnham. Josh Burnham, I'm, I'm going to contend, is pound for pound the best athlete they have on defense. Pound for pound, inch for inch, the best athlete they have. You're talking about a kid that had a 37 inch vertical and a 10 five broad jump this year, at 240 plus pounds, 245 pounds, and
1: also did 23 reps at two and a quarter. Yes. Don't
2: forget that yes. part. Yes, <laughs> with very long arms, the kid's yeah. a freak. Now it's up to Al Washington again. This is what's so fresh, not so. It's f- partly what's frustrating, but also why I'm excited. Yeah, because Al Washington is not working with bums this year. Like, there's this perception that oh, I still have a lot of talent. Like, we've seen Archer, right? The Ohio State guy. Love Archer, but he's like, yeah, the D line doesn't scare me. Okay, that's fine. Based on what we've seen, that's fine. Whatever. But there are not a lot of teams in, this, in college football that have an athlete like, like Josh Burnham. I mean, he's a he's a longer, more athletic version of Drew Sanders athletically. He, he is. Look what Drew Sanders did at Arkansas, mm-hmm. right? I mean and Josh Burnham's a more explosive, longer, bigger athlete in my opinion. You may disagree, that's fair, but in my opinion, that's what he is. Now, is he so good as good of a football player as Drew Sanders? No, he's not. Not yet. But that's my thing is get that guy ready. If if you can't get him ready, then what are you doing here? There's this notion that well, it's up to the play. No, it's not up to the players. If it's up to the players, then give them the coach's salaries. If it's up to them, <laughs> Right, And you can hire me and Ryan to just determine which of them, because if they're going to determine it themselves and they're up to develop themselves, then you just need babysitters. You don't need coaches. right? That's not the job. This dude's a freak. It's my job to do whatever I can to get him ready to go. Yeah. And then you've got Junior Two Alamaka, who I don't know if he brings sort of the, the explosiveness, but he brings a physicality, and in, he's got a great instincts. He's got toughness. I still wish he was playing linebacker, to be completely honest with you. But man, there's some talent there. If you can't, if you can't get these guys ready to go, man. If you can't get production from the viper position, then you know I'm sorry. You you got to find somebody else. Yeah, you got to find somebody else. If if I if there's going, if I'm out watch, he should be licking his chops, ready to coach this group. I would think. And if he's not, then again, what are we doing here, man? What 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 are we doing here? Because this is a loaded group, Ryan.
1: We, we've seen a transformation of the position a little bit too, Brian. Like, I mean, Isaiah Foskey was a more of a true four down style player, right? Like you don't want him dropping in coverage a ton. He can do it at points. We've seen that in Notre Dame career, but the three linebackers that you just mentioned all have some sort of linebacker backgrounds, right? Joshua Burnham came in as a linebacker, transitioned the Viper early on in his career. Jordan Batelho. Has played inside linebacker, has played Rover, has played Viper. You, and then obviously you mentioned, you know, a junior Toya Lamaca, who was literally a Mike linebacker in, his, in most of his career so far in Notre Dame, although it's just one season, right? So you're talking about three guys that have the ability to drop into the coverage, they have the ability to play a, a physical style and setting the edge, and they have an opportunity to get after the quarterback a little bit. We have seen a, a evolution of that position. It looks much more of that hybrid drop end linebacker spot yeah. than what it's it's typically supposed to look like. And there's a lot of talent there, man. There's no doubt. I mean Joshua Burnham at six four plus two forty five. You mentioned all the athletic numbers, right? I would contend, and I think you were kind of getting at this right a little bit, is that if you can't get him ready to play as a sophomore, that's a failure. <laughs> it's a failure, yes. man. He has to play in some capacity. I'm not saying that he has to be the guy at Viper, but he has to have some production this year, man. Mm -hmm. He has to have some impact this year. Jordan Botelho, we need to be more consistent. We need to be more dependable. But that dude is talented, man. Super, super gifted football player. And Juro Tolomaka might be the least twitchy of the group, but also incredibly physical. I know you've seen some of the – some of the work he's done this off season with his personal trainer, man, he looks good. He looks smooth. He looks explosive. He should still be playing
2: like, Mike. I'm yeah. sorry. He should I, still be playing Mike. That's a mistake. I'm just yeah. going to say it. Not that he can't play Viper, but he should still be playing Mike. Or yeah, whatever. It is what it is. But yep. yeah, he should still be
1: playing Mike. But yeah. you got three talented cats, man, that should offer high upside in that viper right. room as a yes. group, they should be incredibly productive. Is there one guy that I'm going to say should have 10 sacks? No, but I'm saying together your team, your Viper unit should not take a step back. They should be as right. productive as last year with all of those roles together and all of that upside. considered. Right. right. And again, we're not
2: talking total theory, what they were in height with Jordan, Patel. we've seen Jordan Patel two years in a row when plays, when he plays, he moves at a different speed than most people do at that position. He just does, you know. So uh, it's just, I'm I'm excited to see what he can do, but I'm also kind of nervous about it because as of right now, Al Washington has not shown me he can get these guys ready to play. That's my big concern. And and uh, but man, there's a lot of talent to that viper position. A lot of talent. I mean, junior two Alamak was a top hundred recruit. Jordan Patelho was a borderline top hundred recruit. And Josh Burnham was a top hundred recruit for all the people that obsess over start rankings. Yeah. Right. And and all three of them were mentioned as potential ends coming out. I even mentioned, like, you know, Junior could play this, but when I said it was more of like a, a nickel situation. But Burnham, we said when he look, this kid could end up grow outgrowing linebacker pretty quickly. And that's yeah. what happened. He just got too big too fast. Yeah. And he just looked more, he's built more like a viper. And then, of course, uh um, Jordan Patelho has was has played. Start played Rover in 2000. I mean, literally Notre Dame starting Viper this year is a guy that played Rover in 2021 <laughs> at 245 pounds. Yeah. Right. So don't talk to me about Notre Dame doesn't have the athleticism of the position. You got a six foot four plus 245 pound redshirt freshman with huge wingspan that's, that ran a four, six in high school has, has got a 37 inch vertical and a 10, five broad, which is better numbers than what Isaiah Foskey just put up. And Isaiah ran a four, five, eight right? And you've got Jordan Patelho, who's 250 pounds, who played Rover two years ago, <laughs> Rover, you know what I mean? And then, you know, there, there's a ton of talent there. My question is how does that battle rage this spring between Burnham and junior, but also how much can those guys close the gap on Patelho to say, Hey, you need to play all of us, yes. which then to me benefits Jordan Patelho because he's not as big as Foskey was. If Jordan Patelho can go from playing, you know, just just w- when you look at it, like I'm going to look at Isaiah Foskey last year. Isaiah Foskey last season played a total of, I think he was over, I think he was over 600 snaps. He was at 563 snaps last year. He was at 564 the year before. That's a pretty decent amount of snaps for a guy that's playing um, that position. In my in my opinion, that that's a decent amount of snaps. If yep. you can take a hundred snaps off of Jordan Patojo in that regard and, and kind of get him down to 500. So for example, JT Tua Maloa, I'm, I'm no, I'm not getting that right. Last year in, in, uh, 14 games, played 504 snaps last season. If you can get your ends down to around that range, then I'm going to feel a lot better about where they are in, in, in from a rotation standpoint. So, um, actually excuse me 13 snaps uh zach harrison last year ryan played 483 snaps uh jt uh uh, jack sawyer played 329 snaps last year right so uh that's my kind of my point is if you can get into a situation ryan where you can take 50 60 70 80 snaps off of jordan pato over the course of a year that's less than 10 a game yeah and, and Baptiste at 251. If, if the rotation can look more like that, where you take minimum 50 to 80 snaps off of Batelho relative to where Foskey was, now all of a sudden in the fourth quarter against Ohio State, your Viper's not working on snap 50. He's working on snap 35, whereas yeah. that offensive lineman's working on snap 70. All of a sudden, yeah. that burst becomes a little bit harder to handle. That speed becomes a little bit harder to handle. And and that's where I want to be, and especially against the Tennessee States and the the Central Michigans and the Pits and the and teams like that, you definitely want to see him more of a rotation. So maybe then he can up his reps a little bit when you need to against Ohio State or a USC. So that's what I'm excited about is the bat. Excuse me, the battle's there. The you know he's got to prove himself. botel has got to prove he can be that guy. I think he can be, but he's got to prove it. But the battles really with Burnham and Tula Maka saying, "Hey, you better play us too." Sure, We need to play, too, because we can we can make plays. And you get in a situation where if you're out watching, I don't care who's a viper. I don't, I don't care because they can all make plays. That's really the dream scenario. Now, will they get there? That's what the spring is going to determine, right? And it's part coaching, and it's part player. The player's got to put in the work, but the coach has to make sure that he develops them and gives them the attention and the coaching that they need. If they do, Ryan, this is going to be a loaded position group next year.
1: I, I was going to say this, Brian, is that – for me, the Viper position is the litmus test for Al Washington in 2023 because you can't question the talent there. You can't question the talent. Now, there's not a lot of proven production, right? We talked about Jordan Botello having production in the amount of snaps that he has had in his career, but there's not proven production as in that's a that's the guy, that's the guy, that's the guy. It's talent. It's upside. And if Al Washington can get the best out of that group in 2023, that makes me feel a lot better about how I currently feel about the trajectory of this defensive line cl- defensive line group for Notre Dame. But if he doesn't get a lot out of that group, that strength is the concern for development up front. Because there's I, – I say it again, man. I'll say it again. There's no excuse for not getting a, a lot of production out of Jordan Batelho Joshua Burnham and Junior Maka. There's no excuse for it. Zero. Zero.
2: The only one you can get is if they're they just all get injured. That's it. Sure. That's it. That's it. (laughs)
3: MyPatriotSupply.com